Hey guys, I'm Marissa. And I'm Liza. And this is Little Sleep, Much Reading Podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. <laughs> As you just heard us uh, say, I'm Marissa. And I'm Eliza. And since this is episode one, we're just going to talk a little bit about ourselves for a couple minutes. I'll go first. Go first. Take it away, Riss. Okay. So I am currently living in my hometown of Buffalo, New York. I have a beautiful cat named Penelope, and I just recently graduated from Pratt Institute with a BFA in creative writing. And so I love books, and I just want to always read books. When I decided that I wanted to make a podcast, I just simply could not find a podcast that was um, talking about books I guess, in a more in-depth and focused and kind of writerly way instead of just like, oh, I liked this. I think that being in a classroom setting for so long where we have talked about books um, in a more focused way has caused me to think about books Mm -hmm. in a much more focused way. And so... I wanted to hear other people continue to do that and I couldn't find it anywhere. Totally. I feel the same way. So I'm, I'm Liza and I have the exact same bachelor's of fine arts as uh, Marissa. Um, And we spent the past nine months before the summer together writing our thesis uh, and the past four years together, figuring out how to write and how to read. Um, Yeah. And I think I liked what you were just saying, because I feel very similarly talking about books in a writerly way. And there's actually this Angela Carter quote that I just saw that said, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, when you read something, you are actively rewriting it yourself, which I think is a really interesting way to look at a book, Mm -hmm. especially because you're never going to read the same book as another person, even if it is the same book if that makes any sense. And so that was something I appreciated about you wanting to set up this podcast was the way that you proposed wanting to look at them was including, I feel like, I don't know, you always see the book rating on a five-star scale. And I was always so frustrated with that because there's no possible way, in my opinion, to actually look at a book and rate it simply on a five-star scale with all the nuances and all the complexities that go into it because a book could be perfectly well-written, but you could hate it. And I feel like the five, the, the typical scale doesn't allow for that. And so, I don't know, I'm excited to use, and if you want to introduce your, your uh, ranking scale after this, because I think it's really interesting, this way to look at it that offers a way to look at the characters, the writing, the form, Mm -hmm. the perspective, and just how much you like the book. Because like I said, like, it could hit every mark, it could have vivid characters, vivid sense of place, this, that and the other, but you could still hate 
the book and never want to read it again. Absolutely. And, yeah. And yeah, so I don't know. I'm interested to talk about books in that way with you. Wow. With me? With Marissa. No. Yes. Absolutely. I, it's weird. I actually just texted my parents. It was a couple weeks ago and I can't remember for the life of me what book I was reading, but I texted them and I said something like, I think that going to school for writing has ruined me because I'm just reading this book and like correcting it in my head and writing it how I want it to be. Yes. And I feel like that's all I do with books. I think about writing and not just story. And you start to almost write your own stuff while you're reading it. Does that ever happen to you? Because yes. all we do as writers, I think, too, is steal. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's a lot of that. Ha- that ruins. It doesn't ruin the reading process, but it changes it significantly. Without a doubt. So part of looking at it in a writerly way, um, we're going to move into our writing scale. It's out of five different categories which since this is like our first episode, as we get more into it, it could possibly change as we realize we don't need one or we want to think about them in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But as of right now, it's interest and readability. If this is a book that you were actively reading, you kept thinking about it, you kept wanting to pick it up. Then form and stylization, which I kind of had as not only the actual like writing in a grammar way, but also um, if it's doing something interesting, if the form is kind of new or exciting in some way, then we have, is it shelf worthy and would you read it again? So this is either buy it or just borrow it or Mm -hmm. don't even read it. And do you need this book to be on your shelf forever? Which there are definitely some books that should be on everybody's shelf. Then we have plot. And this isn't just, oh, they had a good plot. Like, yes, that's part of it. But it's also, was it predictable? And were there loose ends? Was it put together well? Was it appealing in a way? And then we have characterization. Do the characters feel real? And do you feel connected to them? And then this is not part of our scale, but it is included in our rating. A little pain scale at the bottom. (laughs) Because books do hurt my feelings very often. Very much. And so I think it's important to know how much this book will hurt you. So it's zero to ten. And I think that when we post our scales, we should just, if we can, color in the face of our pain level. Okay, I can do that. And for the whole scale, it's a zero to 10 scale, but some ratings go um, between boxes. Yeah. But we will, as we review, we'll get more into that. It'll all be explained and uh, it'll work out perfectly because I'm manifesting it right now. There we go. Love it. So, um... Let's get into it. Let's let's go for it. Let's do it. So for our first week, we wanted to uh, just do our current reads because we thought that that would not only be interesting uh, so that you can get to know us, but also I think we read some interesting books. I think we did. 
the book that I read was Sleep Donation by Karen Russell. And my book um, is Dogtown by Alyssa East, which is actually nonfiction, which I think makes for an interesting way to look at this scale that you were just explaining. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> cool. I will be talking about Sleep Donation first. Let's so go. let's get into it. Okay. I love Karen Russell. I have read her book of short stories, Vampires in the Lemon Grove. And then I read Orange World, the story, not the whole book. Um, and I think she's amazing. Her, her writing is often very lyrical um, in a way to me. And her story ideas seem to be something that like sits on your brain in the same way as a taste. Does that make sense? You know how like you can eat a candy and in an hour you still taste cherry, but it's in a weird place in your mouth? Yes. That's what her stories do to my brain. <laughs> okay, amazing. It like sits in a very strange place, but in a good way. Yeah, yes. Okay. But because it's like that, I need to take a little break after I read her stuff. Definitely. Usually. Yeah. Because I need to like sit with her stories. Again, like like you don't want to mix that taste with something else. You don't want to no. brush your teeth and then drink orange juice. No, no way. Nasty. Caca, gross. No. <laughs> so she does that to me. So a little bit about this book, Sleep Donation. It's not a book of short stories. It is a, it's a novella, actually. And a little summary. Insomnia has become an epidemic and people are not able to sleep. Or in some cases, they are unwilling to. Like if they're having horrible nightmares, they're unwilling to. And so they're pretty much like deteriorating. People are aging very rapidly and looking very sickly because they're not sleeping. So in this world, sleep can be harvested from healthy sleepers and distributed to the unhealthy masses, but not everyone is compatible with each other's sleep, like how people aren't compatible with blood types. Um, and there's only one known universal donor and she's a baby, and she's referred to as Baby A. And they are constantly taking from her. Our main character works for a sleep distribution company, and she's a donor recruiter. So her name's Trish, and she goes to conventions and honestly think of like a blood drive. Mm -hmm. She has a booth and she like catches people <laughs> and she tells this horrible story about her sister who died from lack of sleep. And that's how she recruits people. So she's actually the one who recruited the parents of baby A uh -huh. and they are going to draw sleep from this baby multiple times a week actually. The amount of sleep that they need from her increases after a donor who's referred to as Donor Y goes to a sleep bank. He donates his sleep, which is, I guess, contaminated with a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And people who are then getting his sleep are having this nightmare and they are committing suicide and refusing to sleep and doing all these medicinal things to stay awake. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It all centers around the point of view of Trish, the sleep recruiter. She is like 
painfully haunted by not only her sister's death, but also the guilt that she has from guilt tripping people Mm -hmm. into donating. It's an interesting concept. And I love the idea. Mm -hmm. But to start getting into our chart for readability, I only gave it a three to a four because I could not get into the book. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I had the hardest time staying grounded and nothing was gripping me. If you think of stories as a roller coaster, for me, this story was very flatlined. From knowing a story chart, I could tell what the climax was supposed to be, but it never felt like it was that important to be the set off point. I wonder, this is just me speculating, but I did find out that this book was originally published only as an ebook hmm. from um, a publishing company that is now closed called Atavist Books. I could be pronouncing that wrong. And it was their first book that they published. And I also don't know too much about publishing houses and how they work. But if this was a publishing house where they could provide her with an editor, maybe they weren't that great on explaining to her what she needed to do because this was published in 2014 so maybe having like the karen russell be your first book was like a little bit too daunting like they couldn't tell her hey you need to work more on this or something it felt short yeah instead of being a novella i think it probably could have been a novel it reminds me of when our thesis professor said to me Everything in a short story has to count. Yes. Maybe this book felt like a short story in the sense that everything kept moving Mm -hmm. without giving me enough to make it real to me. Does that make sense? I think that does make sense. And I think that's interesting because the concept does sound really cool. And of course, I haven't read this, but I have read other Karen Russell. And I know that I really like her work, but I have also only read her short stories and excerpts from her novels. And so I'm trying to figure out if it sounds like if this was either too short or too long. I Okay, I could not tell. Right. Because I do think that it could have been much longer. Like it felt like there were things that I was missing out on. and. Mm-hmm. There, like she, she didn't info dump. It wasn't that really. There is a lot of like scientific language and explaining, but I wouldn't say it was info dumping. I just would say that like, even when I was set in a scene, I didn't feel like I was in the scene. Yes. I, I think that you need those moments of scene to ground it more. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Like, <laughs> like, yes, I think that it's important for the story to continue to move always. Yes. But the story doesn't have to stop if you are giving me more of a character that should count as moving the story forward. Right. Because you need, you need, okay, arguably you need both. Yes. But you also only need one of two things. If, if we're being really simplistic, I think, okay, I think I see what you were just, what I interpreted as what you were trying to say there was like, you either need a crazy plot or a plot that's always moving and it doesn't totally matter what the people are doing, who they are, I mean. It matters what they're doing, not who they are. Or you can have something that you can't really figure out 
what the plot is, but you're so glued to that character and you're sitting with them and they're changing even though the plot isn't changing and therefore the plot doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Yes. And it's it's also like even when things were happening that I could tell were supposed to be important plot-wise, the main character wasn't giving me enough emotional response to it. Right. That I felt real about it. So it all, in this situation, in this situation, it all comes down to not fully connecting to the character. Like you felt like you were kind of in like some kind of liminal space where you were watching this really interesting concept unfold, but none of it mattered because you weren't connected to the protagonist. Kind of all of the characters. Okay. But we could talk a little bit more about that when we get to the characterization part. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just couldn't really get into it. For form and style, I did give it a seven because her writing is so beautiful. And it's truly the thing that kept me reading the book for just those little like gold nuggets in the reading. Um, The way she described the sleep deprived people was so beautiful and really haunting and realistic. Um, from I mean I'm not a science person but what I would imagine to be realistic Um, Mm -hmm. I do want to just read this quick quote that's close to the end to just get a sense of her writing he frog marches me far beyond the fairgrounds until I let him see that I'm not going to stumble then he loosens his grip still he doesn't let go of my arm Wherever we are now, we've missed the dividing line that separates the fairgrounds, unkept margins, from the nature preserve. Together we ford rivers of cattails until the fever pitch of the night world is entirely erased by distance and silence. The only sound is the occasional scream of some nocturnal hawk which rips through the deep quiet of the sky like a skunk stripe drawn through black fur. It's just so beautiful. It's just so good. Stunning. Um, And I think that also reading a lot of contemporary writing, I don't think a lot of people do scene descriptions Mm -hmm. in the same way as more classical writing Uh is. Yeah. It's beautiful and it feels so good to read it. When I'm writing, I have to constantly remind myself, okay, but what about the scene? Like, I feel like I'm always so focused on laying out a story that sometimes I'm like, okay, I understand that this is happening to this person in this room, but like, what is happening outside the window? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that that's just something so important to a story. Mm -hmm. Is this book shelf worthy? I gave it a three or four only because again, I had a hard time getting into it. I would say a one-time read is probably good enough and you could probably borrow it. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, For plot, I did say seven because I loved the plot. The idea is so good. It's haunting. It was really thought out. Not only, hey, like what if sleep is a commodity? Mm -hmm. Not only in that way, but also, oh, like how would people misuse it? How could sleep be corrupted? How could our dreams be um, a threat to us? And there's also something really interesting to me about When I go to bed at night, when I think a lot of people go to bed at night, you know, we do our nighttime routine and then we go in our rooms and we close our doors and we lay in our beds by ourselves and we sleep. 
And even if you are going to sleep in a bed with your partner or something, when you guys are sleeping, like that is still a solo private thing. Like no one could be asleep with you. And so to have this book that people can share their dreams, sort of, a nightmare could be passed on. You could be asleep and have someone sucking it out of your brain mm-hmm. to, to make sleep um, less of a solo thing and more of a group population thing. I thought was so interesting. The concept is so, so, so good. So I did rate it high, but I didn't rate it all the way high because I do think that it wasn't developed as much as I wanted it to be. I also will say in the back of this book, there's this really interesting thing where it has an alert Mm. from the slumber corpse people (laughs) who are the people who like suck your dreams out yeah and uh and distribute your sleep and it has like active nightmare outbreaks and like a map that shows where it mostly is which kind of nightmares are in alert level three where you need to go like quarantine oh my god which ones are like oh maybe you should talk to your doctor but it's not that bad i just thought that was so cool and it has really bad strands of it and then like less i just thought that was so interesting yeah to describe the sleep like that and how to stop your nightmare contagion and like all this crazy stuff. That's super interesting. And you can tell she thought about that. What what nightmares would be really bad for the whole population to start having. So interesting. Not developed how I wanted it to be. And then for characterization, I gave it a three because Trish, the main character, wasn't real to me. Most of the people don't feel real. Uh, I would say the the dead sister might have been the the person who felt the most real even though she was dead and I never got to experience her yeah in the flesh but the way that she affects Trish just felt very real to me also Trish constantly is telling people her sister's story but we as readers never get to see anything about that story and her death which I do understand if you're doing horror, sometimes there are a lot of things that are best left to the imagination. I don't think that that's the case here. I think that we just needed more. Like I needed to know how the sister's death manifested more with Trish. Mm-hmm. Also for a book that's mostly, no, for a book that is all about sleep, I don't know much at all about how Trish sleeps yeah I think it does mention at one point that she never seems to remember her dreams other than that I don't really know if she's up late or if she has nightmares or anything so I did give it a three for characterization besides Dory this the dead sister I would say that Trish's bosses were both pretty real only because she describes a lot of their mannerisms but that was like it and I was sad that I didn't like it as much as I wanted to because she is so good but this book just like didn't hit the spot and I I could not tell you why that is exactly hate when that happens (laughs) no but like, I, I do think that, I don't know, I, I think that people should read it mm-hmm. because the concept is so interesting and it made me think a lot, but 
again, I think just reading it once would probably be sufficient. And you could be like, wow, super, super cool, super spooky, but that's it. There is on the front cover, Stephen King. He, I guess he was like one of the first people to read this when it was like in an early draft. She even thanks him in the acknowledgments. And he said that it gave him nightmares. Yeah. And I was like, well, he has the book. What is it? Dr. Sleep. Is that him? Yes. So, yeah. Have you have you uh, watched the movie? I have not, but it's Ewan McGregor, is it not? I don't know. I thought it's it was. Good. No, Ewan McGregor's in maybe another one. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I I haven't read the book yet because it's technically a sequel to The Shining. Yes, yes. The movie was really, really good. So like if the movie was that good, I know that the book is probably slamming. Right. I think... Even just to flip through this book, to look at the things in the back, or to read. There's also pictures in this book. Oh, I really like when people do that. I also like it. I think there needs to be more pictures in books. Totally. And they're just little black and white pictures, and usually you don't see the main character's face. That's interesting, too. Which I like, because then I could make them how I want. Right. That's all I got to say about that. It really, the concept is so, so cool that I didn't even read it. And I'm also disappointed to hear that. And at the same time, I can totally see why it gave Stephen King nightmares because that first part that you were talking about with them using the baby to donate its sleep sent chills down my spine. And the first thing it reminded me of, and I don't know if you've read this or if it's actually similar to it at all, was um, Ursula K. Le Guin's short story, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. And it's really cool and you should read it. And it's it's one of those things I feel like everybody should read. And it's Mm -hmm. basically a thought experiment, but it's like this weird thing where basically there's this, I, I read it years ago, but like there's this kid that this town locks in a dungeon And the only reason that other people in the town are happy and have good lives is because this kid suffers. Oh. And it's like you can either choose to ignore it and keep living your good life while this child suffers or you can leave or you can because I don't know. You should read it. But it reminds that that's just the freakiest concept ever to use a kid. Right. For other people's benefit, whether it be to donate sleep, whether it be to feed a town. So, I mean, the concept is absolutely bone chilling. And like you said, like I personally know firsthand too that I really like Karen Russell's writing. And I think that happens too. Like you can have a writer that you love almost everything they do. And then there's some things that just don't match up. Right. There are definitely some really, really good, like apart from the plot, there are some really good nuggets of things in here. Sad. But... One of her books she's most famous for is Swamplandia. Yes, which I want to read really bad. And I think that that is a full story, like not short stories. No, it's a novel or maybe another novella, but it's a full thing. So I am interested to see what that would be like from her um, to see if it falls kind of flat like this one does. And if not, I'm just going to blame it on the publishing house again. (laughs) (laughs) Always blame it on the publishing house. 
Any questions? You really got into that. And I think you summed everything up so well. I kind of got to ask all the questions I had while you were talking. So good. Okay. Um, So the book I read this week was Dogtown by Alyssa East. And we didn't initially plan this exactly. It just kind of like so happened that these were the books each other was reading or planning on reading this week. And we kind of made an interesting connection that one of the blurbs on the back of Dogtown is Karen Russell. And I thought that was really interesting too, because, well, first of all, Dogtown is nonfiction. And that's just strange to me because I was somebody who very much did not like nonfiction books until fairly recently. And I kind of want to get into that later. I've been really into a few nonfiction books lately, but it has to be this very, there's this specific way I feel like that draws me into a, to a nonfiction book and Dogtown does that. So anyway, that's something I kind of want to talk about later, but yeah, the blurb on the back is Karen Russell. And maybe I'll read it just as a way to sort of summarize this book because I stand by this. She says, the book is a wonder. I fell completely under its spell. Alyssa East does not merely reupholster the old bones of Dogtown. She plunges you headlong into the green mystery of this place. I love the looking glass chill of opening her book and finding myself in another world entirely. Dogtown is true literary sorcery, a portal to one of the strangest places in America. Wow. So even like Karen... Even the blurbs she does for other books, right. impeccable. But I agree with that. And I guess to give a, a little bit of a connection, my connection to this book is this was a book that was recommended to me by my mom because Dogtown is in Cape Ann around Gloucester and Rockport, Massachusetts, which is the place I used to go every single summer as a kid. And I remember seeing this book on my mom's bookshelf. And I think she read it while we were vacationing up there one summer, years and years and years ago, I was there this past week. I was in Ipswich, Massachusetts, reading this book. So that's about 15 miles or so from Dogtown where the book takes place. And so I was thinking a lot about what it means to read a book so close in proximity to where the story is taking place. Right. And the other weird, weird thing about it, knowing the area for the past, you know, 20 or so years and always kind of missing this place like I was existing exactly where this book takes place every summer I would visit there as a kid and this place was just absent I knew everything that East was describing around the area of Dogtown I could pinpoint the exact streets and places and I'd been there and I could visualize it in my head but I've never seen Dogtown myself even if it was just two minutes down the road from the house I used to stay in when we would visit in the summer so that was just kind of a weird experience to have. And so I really enjoyed reading it being so close to that space. And like I said, it is nonfiction. And to give a little bit of background, the area of Dogtown is this sort of woodland area slash colonial ruin that sits in Cape Ann. And the book switches back and forth between three things. East's connection to this area. So she's from Georgia. 
um, spends a lot of time in Maine and then happens upon Dogtown because of her love for this painter, Marston Hartley, who was also drawn to the area. And then she herself finds herself drawn to this area as well. So there's three things, her connection, Dogtown from its earliest days to today, and a murder that happens in the early 80s to a young school teacher who lives in the area and sort of shakes up the town. She flips back and forth between these three things, mainly between the history of Dogtown and a recounting of this grisly murder. And when you look up the book, it's classified as a true crime book, nonfiction. And I think you could say that. But I also want to say that calling it a true crime book, and that's it, is doing it a disservice. Because I have nothing against true crime books. I love true crime. I love true crime TikTok. I love true crime podcasts, unsolved mysteries, what have you. But there's always this way, you know, it's just telling you this is what happened. This is who was murdered. Here are the possible people who did it. And that's the end of it. And here's what, here's how it was solved or here's how it was unsolved. The incompetence of the cops, da, 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 which is all well and good. But East packs so much more into the 250 pages or so of this book that I don't even know what to categorize it as. I think that just saying it's a true crime novel, a true crime book and, you know, describing it to someone as such is doing a disservice, especially if that would put somebody off and cause them to not read it. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how I want to talk about this too, because like I said, it is nonfiction. And usually I would say you can't rate nonfiction on the same scale as you rate fiction. It's just something you can't do. But I'm finding that there is a way to do it. Like I said, I never liked nonfiction. I didn't really like it until recently. And I read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. I thought it was amazing. I was like, this is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's from his point of view the few days of the 1996 Everest disaster. And I think when I was reading it, I realized this is so good because he was there and he's telling the story exactly as it happened to him. And he knows the people, he knows the characters in the story. And so they feel very alive and they are real people. But because of that, it kind of feels like fiction, even though we know it's true. And I think Alyssa East does that. But the thing that I feel like makes this book so strong is that she wasn't there for this murder in the early 1980s. She wasn't there when Dogtown was, you know, home to various unmarried women and widows and um, sort of social pariahs and witches. She wasn't there when it was a fisherman's village or what have you. And yet she gives us these stories and she gives us these real people but they're so alive. Like, it's not just like, does that make any sense? Like, she's not just like, this is this person and they were the person who was murdered. No, she like brings that woman to life without ever having known her. And so I think that's really interesting. So I would say there are characters in this book and she, you do feel connected to them. Even the people Mm -hmm. who are very unsavory, even the people you hate, she gives you all these little pieces of them that it feels like the way a, a sympathetic villain or what have you would feel in a fiction book. And so I think that's really interesting. And the other thing I'm kind of like thinking a lot about after reading this, while reading this, but, and I want to be, I want to keep thinking about this forever is that, like I said, she has all this char- these characters. She has her inner thoughts. And the biggest character in this book is the place, is Dogtown. 
and it feels alive and it feels like it's breathing. So I'm thinking a lot about when a place is the main character and what that means. So those are kind of the things that I was most struck by while reading this book. Basically what she's doing is she's presenting the reader with this notion that spaces are alive and they can seduce and they can corrupt um, and they can be these dreamscapes that become broken. She's exploring what draws us to a place and, and what holds us there and that certain places have this sort of power to them, I think which is just something really interesting to think about. And I think this ties a little bit into the book you were reading too, is that like, I don't know, like I'm just thinking about it now that like we were kind of saying the the concept in Karen Russell's novel was the main character in a way. Yeah. And in this, I literally think the place where all of these horrible things kind of are taking place is the main character. And that's something to kind of think about, I think in fiction too, even mm-hmm. as a writer too. Like having the place be the most important part of the story rather than the characters. Yes. I actually read a book like that, but it was, I believe it was historical fiction, but it's called Visitation by Jenny Erpenbeck. And I read it while I was in Berlin. The whole story is just, again, centered around this place and how it gets divided up and then how the different people who live there and the horrible things that kind of happen to them is like the war happens and then the Russians like come in and they're not all so great to the women and all that horrible stuff. Um, but that might be something that you might be interested in reading because it did make me think a lot about a place as a character yes. instead of just a setting. Yes, yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I was wanted to hit on that. It's not just a setting. It's so it's so much more than that. And you find too that the people in this book, all of them are so drawn to this to this dog town, which is basically just this now this wild wilderness. And then for all of them it becomes tainted in a way. So for example, the the husband of the woman who is murdered in the early 80s, Dogtown was his home. Like he lived right on the forest line. Like it was his solace. It was where he went to clear his head. And then his wife is brutally murdered in his safe space. And then she she touches on this painter, Marston Hartley. And it's not so much tainted for him, but that's what drew Alyssa East uh, to the area and then finding out all this sort of background information about all the everything that occurred here the place changes for her she talks about this poet Charles Olson who uh, comes to seek solace in Dogtown and its beauty and just the wild almost fantastical nature of this place and then it's tainted for him because of things that happened to his wife every single person that basically has contact with this place something goes awry and it the the place that was once home to them is now the opposite and it's almost sinister I think that's really interesting to think about too in terms of thinking about a place as a character because we don't think of we don't think of a setting as having that power over us right but it it really does it it makes it feel like the place is just as much alive as any of the people Mm -hmm. all of this is a very long way to say I think that's the thing that made me enjoy this book so much and just to think about it too 
on the scale that we're using that, like I said, I think it does fall really well into the fiction scale um, just because of how Alyssa East's writing style and the way she decided to come at this topic. So for example, for readability and interest, I would give it an eight because we kind of rank a nine as like, you cannot put it down, a binge book stuck in my head. Um, And it wasn't quite that um, because I did find that I was a little bit more attached to the story, uh, the true crime. Here I am talking about how I think calling it a true crime book is doing it a disservice. But at the same time, the chapters that take place in the 1980s were the most interesting to me. And there was some of the background history that I found less interesting. But at the same time, the more you read it, the stranger this landscape becomes. And you can't stop thinking about it. It stays in your head. It's not something like when you close the book, you're done with it for the day. Right. You are going to keep thinking about it. So I gave it an eight on that scale. And then in terms of form and stylization, I kind of touched on this already too, but like I'm starting to think is that what makes for a great nonfiction book is the storytelling. You just have to be a really gifted storyteller to write a nonfiction book that the average person I think is going to want to read. And so I would give East an eight with this as well, because her language is stunning. And she's doing something interesting with the form, because it's like in a nonfiction book, right? You could very easily say, this is when it started. This is sort of the middle. And this is the like, you could go in chronological order, basically is what I'm saying. But like I said, like she did do this weird thing where she was flipping back and forth between the actual history of this area and like the, this grisly murder that takes place in the 80s. And then also she's doing this weird thing all the time where she's interweaving her own experiences in. And you almost forget that in a way. Like she kind of starts the book with herself. She ends it with herself. And there's these little pieces of her throughout. But she or she's sort of always making you forget that she is there sort of delving into this history and and watching it unfold from the present day, if that makes any sense. Yes, yeah. And then she'll just sneak herself in there in this really interesting way. The writing's phenomenal. The storytelling is there. How did she do with info dumping? Because she weaved herself in and was juggling a lot of things at once. Did it not feel like an info dump? To me, it it never felt like an info dump. Love it. Which is, you know, that's what I meant. Like she could have very easily said, this is the history of Dogtown. Right. Now here's the murder and the trial that takes place over how many years. And then here's me when I got there post 9-11 as a play, as a way to escape New York City because I liked this artist, this, that, and the other. She never does an information dump. Everything is presented to you very strategically, I think. Also, she never gives you too much. Like she... I'm trying to think of a way to to phrase this. It is almost like the chapters are so precise. You have to force yourself to stop reading because you're gonna want to, she never gives you 
a clean ending in one chapter, if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. She, whether she's taught, whether she's take, uh, like sitting you in the eighties, she never ends that section with an answer, whether she's giving you the next piece of history. She never just leaves you with a clean, concise, you know, idea to say, Oh, close the book, learn this much history for the day. It's always going to keep kind of sitting with you. And it's always getting pieced together with the next historical portion. If this makes any sense. Yes. It's a book. I think that you almost have to read to fully kind of because it's hard to piece together because there is so much flipping back and forth and I think that could be problematic if a less talented writer and storyteller did it it could kind of give you whiplash to flip back and forth between so many different time periods and perspectives and characters right but there's just something that she does that it never feels problematic to me at least so that's sort of how I felt about the form I think it's shelf worthy and a two-time read and I think it's one of those things that I probably missed a dozen things that I need to go back and look at and I'm once again thinking about it from a writer's perspective and having come out from just writing a thesis that was so preoccupied with a place that I'm almost like it's one of those things that while I was reading it I was almost like I wish I had read this before I had finished my thesis it's something you can learn from again And it's worthy of keeping on your bookshelf for that reason. I love that. Yeah. The plot section, I think, is the only thing that if we ever come across a non, if one of us reads a nonfiction book again, that it's a little bit harder to rank on our scale. Right. Um, So for those of you who like can't see uh, the scale, like it's in front of me right now, a nine out of 10 for plot is so good. No loose ends, not predictable twists. And a seven is really good. Uh, not totally predictable, fresh. And so I have to put it up in that area because, I mean, it was nonfiction. I could have easily, I guess, gone and looked up how things ended before I finished the book pretty easily. But (laughs) if you do like true crime, there is a twist that I didn't see coming. And she does tie things up very beautifully in terms of, I'm talking about all this switching back and forth between history Um, and this true crime, and her experiences, and she does tie that all together really beautifully. So I have to rank it high in terms of plot as well. And the only other thing that you would think would be difficult when looking at a work of nonfiction is characterization. But I touched on this too, that I think her characters, who are real people, are incredibly alive and incredibly three-dimensional despite the fact that she did not make them up (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I feel like when you make up a character you get to be inside of their head you are their thoughts you are their movements and she of course isn't because these are real people and I, I don't know what she did if she took I don't know if there were gaps that she took the liberty of filling in but she gets inside these people's heads and it's almost like I kind of want to like sit down and talk to her and ask her how she read, how she came to write this, whether she interviewed people, whether she, you know, for example, the killer, I won't give anything away, but if she was able, how many people she talked to, to bring him to life in the way that she did, because there's no way I think she could have talked to, to him or like how she brought the characters from history and hundreds and hundreds of years ago Mm, to life in the way that she did shows an incredible amount of talent I'm thinking back to it like even the smallest people and the smallest 
kind of ideas in this book are characters like um there's this one portion that takes place at the St. Peter's Festival Fiesta in Gloucester and she makes St. Pietro a character and she has this whole section where she she's describing him watching the town he's a statue by the way in Gloucester and he's a real dude was a real dude too uh, but there's a statue of him in Gloucester and she's describing him aging she's describing him looking at the townspeople she's describing how how he's being carried through the town and then placed back in his little pedestal she even has this moment where she I think I, I don't know where she's like describing like his gray his hair graying and this that and the other but he's you know he's a saint from whenever saints existed right. and he's a statue and he's sort of this deity to the people of Gloucester um, because they're all fishermen. But that's just one example of a character who's totally alive and is quite literally an inanimate object. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I do think again, with, with how our scale is nonfiction could be hard. Um, sometimes it, there will be plot holes in a nonfiction story simply because there are no answers yet to the story mm-hmm. or none that we have. But I do think that if you are a good writer, you can make it feel like it's not a plot hole or you could still make the story feel well-rounded. Um, you could still make characters in, in quotes feel real or you can still make a reader be connected to them even if they are real people by just being a good writer and picking up on things that people do if you talk to them or or even like doing research is such an important part of writing that Mm -hmm. I don't think people talk about enough there's so much pre-writing that happens before the writing yes and if you are a, a good writer in my opinion then your pre-writing is can make a nonfiction story really juicy. <laughs> and Definitely. it could really just fit into the chart if you do it right. Yes. Which it and sounds like she did. It sounds she, like it's amazing. It's, like I want to read it. Yes. And I, I think you should. And it's everything was strategic. It feels that way. It feels that she thought out every last little thing. And it's almost like she committed a lifetime to this book. And I don't think she I the craziest part is I didn't look into her much, but I'm going to. And now that you said that, I want to see if she has thick works of fiction. I think she might. And I think she must because I don't know. I don't, I'm not bashing at all non-creative nonfiction writers because I, I've read phenomenal creative nonfiction writers right, and, yeah. and I know phenomenal creative nonfiction writers but I don't know it's just it could have very easily been a cut and dry history or a cut and dry true crime or a cut and dry collection of essays about her experiences in Dogtown which I'm sure would have been beautiful because the way she describes place uh the way she describes uh scenery is stunning Mm -hmm. um But I don't know, like you were saying, like, it feels like there was so much pre-writing to figure out how do I make this, these stories into one great book. And so I think I want to, I now really want to see if she's written full novels. Without a doubt, I, I also want to know that and to see, it would be interesting to look at parallels between this book and then 
one if she has fiction books a fiction book from her yeah um and also I'm curious to know more about her in the sense of like where she graduated from and like if she went to school for writing yes I mean I am a fiction writer I cannot do nonfiction. I don't know why I think I just think so writerly about things that it's hard for me to make nonfiction feel relevant mm-hmm. or like feel truthful while still being what while still writing how I like to write but it seems like the way she did it she she did it in her own style in a way that she could manipulate and have fun with and make writerly and I love that yeah I love that so much I think that that's such a good idea just the way she set it up and the work she put into it it, it's beautiful honestly um yes and to give so off of what you were just saying and we were wondering I she does say this in the book and I had forgotten she has an art history bachelor's and she has a creative Mm. writing MFA from Columbia And I'm thinking about now the fact that she's an art history person combined with the fact that that's what a beautiful combination. Yes. Because she paints pictures with her writing. So you can tell that she has some sort of visual eye, but also the the history aspect of it too. So I don't know, that just goes to show you a book kind of really is made up of a person and their experiences sometimes you just get the the right combination the, right <laughs> the sugar spice and everything nice and yeah. it just worked Alyssa East had the sugar the spice and everything nice and she put it into this crazy crazy piece of nonfiction. yeah I love that um I was just thinking this is another slight connection Karen Russell also has an MFA from Columbia Columbia girlies look at that they're out here maybe we should look into Columbia I know let's go let's go get the MFA sooner rather than later (laughs) (laughs) we'll see we'll see maybe not no I definitely want to read that book I'm going to put it on my list because it sounds so good not even um the content but like not even just the story, but the way that she did it. Yes. Sounds sounds beyond good enough to read. Um, if that makes sense. It does. Um, but yeah, those are all my thoughts. Um, I feel like I could have talked about it forever and a forever, day. Forever and a day. <laughs> Me too. And I, I also like how you like have a connection sort of to the place. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's so interesting yeah this is just a weird little side note I've realized I have been reading quite a few books lately that take place in Pennsylvania interesting huh okay I don't know what to do with that information but and there it is just know it okay thank you um all right that was a a good first two books there you go Next week, we pick two of our favorite books, and we're just going to be talking about them. Should we say what they're going to be? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to be doing Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky. And I'm going to be doing After Dark by Haruki Murakami. And we're very excited. I'm looking forward to it. So we will see you guys 
in the next episode. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop recording.